Good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you, be able to welcome those of you who are here in the room, in the other room, and joining us on our live stream. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us wherever you're at and whatever state you're in, whatever state of mind you're in, whatever part of the world. Glad that you're here, all of you. And I would love to invite you to take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3 as we continue our study through this amazing book that I know will stretch and challenge all of us in our study and understanding of the Bible. The sermon notes in your bulletin or that you can find online should be a help to you as well in knowing where we're going here this morning. Uh, In our text this morning, there are a couple of references to Moses and, of course, our our mind in reading his name goes to the Old Testament and some of the great stories. If you grew up going to Sunday school, uh, you know some of the great stories of faith that involve this guy. Um, I remember hearing many of these growing up. My goodness, Moses, the basket, uh, the faith of his parents in keeping him alive, mom, dad, big sister, growing up in Pharaoh's house, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, fleeing for his life, 40 years on the backside of the desert, the Bible says, Um, 80 years old when God gave him his greatest task. Can you imagine? Two-thirds of his life done. I expect he thought he was all washed up. 80 years old, what good am I going to be now? And here he is. I think that's better. Taking care of sheep. And then God calls him, burning bush, anything on fire in terms of Sunday school stories. It's a good one. Uh, things are burning. I love that. Uh, what's, what's the point of the story? I don't care. What's on fire? It's great. It's good. Burning bush. Uh, back to Egypt. The plagues. The plagues are cool. Yeah? Getting out of Egypt. Passover. The Red Sea. Parting of the Red Sea. Uh, man. I, you know, and uh, I think it's the Disney movie. You can see the fish in the water. I don't know about that. But great story. Moses, what a guy. 40 years in the desert, manna. Amazing, amazing. Well, this morning, Moses shows up as a major player in the text, but not to make him a hero. We sometimes get it wrong when we read the Bible. Uh, We do. We sometimes look at these, these great men and women of faith, and we turn them into heroes, missing the bigger point that in all of those stories, God is the hero. It's secondarily about all the other people. It's mainly about God as the deliverer. And so in our text today, Moses is presented as quite a guy. But he's presented so that we will look at Christ and see the greatness of Christ as even more. That's my hope this morning as we come to the text. In keeping with the theme, the whole book of Hebrews, as you know, a call to endure. How do you call people to endure? How do you do it? You don't just tell them it'll all work out okay because it may not. You tell them the truth. And you tell them to focus on Christ. Okay? So we want to go there this morning. I'd love to pray for us and we'll step into our, our major text for the morning. And I trust God's hand in it all. Would you pray with me please then? Our Father, how good it is to open the word of God together with your people. Uh, the scripture tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it is a discerner 
of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so, our Father, gladly today we open the Word of God and come and say, Oh God, by the Spirit of God, teach me, show me things, shape my life and my heart and the things that I love and long for, and, and, and turn my heart in greater measure toward Christ. So do that, we pray today through the preaching of your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on your sermon notes, of course, there is a section of review that'll just draw your attention to some of our past sermons recently, and I'll let you look at those, of course. Uh, One little blank I'll let you find there. There's a warning. We'll comment on it a little bit later as well, back in chapter 2. And then there's a paragraph that describes today's text. And you see there the intent, and I'm going to begin reading at chapter 2, verse 14, which was part of last week's text. But because these sections are so closely connected and built one upon the other, I think it's good to begin our reading where we were last week and then into today's text. So the greatness of Christ, the greatness of Christ, and why does that matter for us today? So chapter 2, verse 14 is where I'm going to begin. As you look in your Bible, I trust you have one there uh, with you. And so we hear the Word of God. It says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. slavery. For, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify of the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. God's word. Well, we come to this text. The writer is building a case. It's 13 chapters long, and it's a call to endurance. Not just showing up, but joyful endurance and faithful endurance in the pursuit of Christ. That's what this whole book is about. And if you are anywhere close to where I live my life, a a call to endurance is a very good thing right about now. So endure, endure joyfully and faithfully in the cause of Christ. Now, uh, as we come to chapter three, there's a transition taking place, all right? Uh, the first couple chapters are foundational as the writer describes who Jesus is in his deity and in his humanity. 
and it talks about his, he's getting ready to talk about his roles as our faithful high priest and so on. And there's, there's a shift into those directions, which is why at the end of verse 1, there's a reference to Christ as our apostle and high priest of our confession. He's getting ready to talk about all of that, okay? Laying the groundwork, planting the idea in your mind as a good writer often does. But, but today then, we want to focus on a, a major theme. There's really one command in the whole text, and that will be our focus and it's, it's under that heading, why we must focus on Christ. The way I have my sermon notes laid out, you see some comments at the beginning. I call it 1A, getting started. And then second, uh, the second half of, part of verse 1 and into verse 2, uh, looking steadily and continuously at Christ. And then the next two are both based on verses 3 to 6. So those are more thematically driven, all right, rather than perhaps uh, uh, verse by verse. So that's, that's what I'm doing today. Three comments then from the first part of verse 1. Uh, first is that is that is that in that beginning. Yeah, depending on the version you have, it either says therefore or so then. I think all the major texts have one of those, and it's intended to draw your mind back, of course, and remind you that the previous text is is the foundation for what you have in front of you. Christ, we saw last week uh, in his in his true humanity. Pastor Tyler did such a good job with this. Christ's true humanity, his role as our champion, his role as our elder brother. All of that lays the groundwork here then for, for what is to come. Holy brothers. Yes, in this case, you could translate that brothers and sisters. That is not always the case when you come down to translation theory and theology. Many times you could translate it brothers and sisters. Here you could. But I'm, I'm fascinated by the term holy. Okay? It's an adjective in this case. It's the, the, it's the same root from which uh, the Apostle Paul typically uses the term saints. Saints. When elsewhere, the Bible says saints, holy ones. So here, for only uh, the second time in the whole New Testament, those two are coupled together. Saints, holy, the, the holy part, and brothers. In this case, again, an adjective form. Holy brothers. Okay, why do I pause with that? Okay, I, I just love to, I love to remind us of things we've heard. A couple weeks ago, you remember, I, I talked about kind of a theology lesson for a moment. Past, present, future. You can say biblically, we have been saved and we are being saved, and we will be saved uh, today, then. We still live in this body and in this world, looking forward to a, a, a future day when we're with the Lord, free from all the mess here and free from our own sin. So justified, sanctified, glorified, some of those things. I hope you remember it. Now, so here, holy brothers, he says, holy brothers and sisters. How in the world can he call you that or call me that? I mean, honestly, if somebody said, hello there, holy friend, you might be tempted to look around and say, um, me? <laughs> Who are you talking to? You must be you know, somebody else. Because this week, I mean, seriously, friend, um, hadn't been all that holy. Um, you don't know what Monday was like. Tuesday, oh, Friday, good night. And Wednesday, Thursday weren't that great. And yesterday, what a mess. Holy brothers. No, because the Bible sees you. If you know Jesus... The Bible sees you as in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Rather than you, the mess, he sees you as in Christ, covered by the righteousness of Christ. So a writer in the Bible can say, Paul can say to the Corinthians, who kind of were a mess, saints, to the saints. And so here he says, again, Holy, holy brothers, holy brothers and sisters. 
I love that. It's a reminder of your identity. Even if you look around and say, man, I'm not there yet. Oh, no, of course not. We, we, we got that. But someday you will be fully living into that identity. Holy, he says, holy brothers, holy brothers and sisters. Then a third descriptor, a uh, third little phrase, you who share in a heavenly calling. Heavenly calling. What is this? What is this? Well, uh, as I described there for you, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it's kind of like you've responded by faith to a heavenly summons as from a great king. You, you said yes to Christ. So there's a heavenly calling. It came from heaven, the king of heaven, and it invites you to heaven. So you could, you could view this as the, uh, a calling in its source, sourced in heaven, and heaven as its destination. The God of heaven calls you to come. Come to me. That's the journey you're walking on, of course. And it's the direction you're heading one day. Partakers of a heavenly calling. Now, in your text then, the next two words are the main point. It's the singular command in this paragraph. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. That's it. That's a command. It's a, it's a, it's a plural, second person plural, if you're into grammar at all. So rather than it being you, you as an individual, consider Jesus, it's you plural. It's written to a group. So you all, y'all, if you're a good Southern person, right? Y'all now consider Christ and don't lose that part. That's, that's part of this text is the community element here, the one another's of the New Testament. We're in this, well, I, hate to, I hate to say it, we're in this together, we keep hearing and may I say, you stole that. It's not about a pandemic. It's about faith. It's about the Christian walk. Uh, we do share this walk together. More on that a little bit later. But it's a call to all of us. Consider Jesus. Now, I don't want to rush too quickly. I want to stay here about these two words for a couple of minutes. All right? The NIV says, fix your thoughts on. The New Living Translation says, think carefully about and I, I highlight that because though all of our major translations use the term consider, um, I, again, I hate to be a textual critic here, but there's some cultural baggage here about consider that I want to dispense with uh, because it's not part of the text. We grab it because it fits our world. If you're going through a drive through and you said a burger, a burger and a Coke or whatever you said, uh, the person at the window, if they're, if they're good at, ups, at upselling, you know about this? They're supposed to say something like, would you like fries with that? Whatever, the, whatever you didn't order, they're supposed to ask you, would you consider that? And you're supposed to say, well, no, I didn't want that. But if you went with the marketing, you'd say, sure, fries sound great. Consider. Consider is a term that sounds like you're offering, you know, options. Equal yes, equal no. Yeah, I don't feel like that today. That's not what the writer's doing here. He's not saying Consider Jesus, like one of 25 other good options. Uh, you can, yes or no, it doesn't really matter, but consider Jesus, and then the reader or the listener says, eh, not so much. No, no, this is a command from heaven. See? No, no, consider Jesus, and he's got his, he's got his finger in your face. It's a command. Do it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, the the, the grammar that's used is different, but it's the, it translates in English the same way in chapter 12. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. This is a, a concept repeated in the book of Hebrews. So, so here, consider Jesus. He's not considering one of many other options. So I put on your study sheet here, this is a command, look at this, to gaze steadily 
to study every facet, to focus on Christ as you would upon a jewel of rare worth. Consider, focus your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to give you a sentence. Had I thought of it early enough, I would have put it in the sermon notes, but I didn't. It came to me later. So I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to read it like three times, just in case anyone wants to write it down and discuss it in their community group or put it on your mirror. Here's the idea of this. It's that you would let Christ be the lens through which you view the world, your life, your losses, and your hope. Let Christ be the lens through which you view the world, your life, your losses, and your hope. You see this? That's, that's the call here. This is not just a religious statement for Sundays only. It's about your entire life. Let Christ be the lens through which you view the world and your life, your losses, and your hope. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. That's, that is the idea here. Consider Jesus. He is calling you to a full-orbed, all-consuming uh, focus on Christ in such a way that you you think of every facet of your life through Christ. Okay, now, with that central command in place, the rest of the paragraph down through verse 6 supports it, okay? It, it explains it, gives some word pictures and analogies, and this is where Moses shows up. So the main point, those two words, consider Christ. The apostle and high priest of our confession, as I mentioned, will be working on that in the weeks ahead, so I'm not going to say much about that today. We're going there in the chapters ahead. Christ as our great and faithful high priest, greater king, greater apostle of faith. Now, you come then to Moses. Uh, Jesus, of course, verse 2, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So I move to that next section on your sermon notes. And Moses shows up here several times in the book of Hebrews, 11 times by name and other verses about him. Moses was faithful in all God's house. That phrase, as you notice, is very similar to verse 5, isn't it? Again, Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, there's a contrast, you see, in, in, in that phrase, verse 5, and what follows. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. There's an intended contrast. A servant, a son, Moses and Christ. And so I want to talk about Moses for a moment, even as we begin today thinking about him. Moses, indeed, a champion of faith, amazing stories of his life. And of course, I think I, I, think I already said it, uh, Moses is not, is not being put down in this text. The writer is not diminishing or disrespecting Moses. He would like you, in fact, through the book of Hebrews, to think well of Moses. And so I want to flip over here, if you'd come with me, as I have listed here in front of you, to Hebrews chapter 11, what we often call that, that great hall of faith. Sometimes Hebrews 11 is called this, because many of the men and women of faith from of old are chronicled here. So it is with Moses. And I, I just want you to see the esteem of the writer of this book for Moses and of the, of the readers or hearers of this book originally, it is assumed that they would read this about Moses and say, yes, yes, what an amazing person indeed he was. So Hebrews 11, uh, 23 to 28, I just want you to remember this and, and notice a couple of phrases with me. So it starts with the faith of his parents 
in verse 23. By faith, Moses, we read, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. A phrase, by the way, in, in thought that's repeated twice in this little paragraph. Somebody's not afraid of the king. So the parents' faith is in view here. Moses is just three months old. By faith then, verse 24, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That is, he was looking past the current struggles to something greater. He wasn't bogged down by the challenges. Oh, the challenges of the day were real, but he kept looking past them to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. There's that second reference. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did he endure? He, he kept looking at the one who is invisible, kept looking beyond the difficulty to God himself. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And of course, that great Passover event. And then we move on to the deliverance from the Egyptians and then soon into uh, the promised land under General Joshua. So we shift there. But in, in 23 to 28, there are a number of very fascinating phrases about Moses But I I, I look especially at verse 26. Moses, this, this amazing guy, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, I want to build a case here, okay? So stay with me on, on, on some connections here, Old Testament to New, all right? So, so, so Moses, long before Christ, right? We're not even close to Bethlehem yet. The writer here says he considered the reproach of Christ. In what sense could you say this? That Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. How could you say that about a person? Huh, something's going on here in the text. A reader might, might reasonably ask this about Moses. Well, interesting, if you read in the book of, of Deuteronomy, chapter 18 and verse 15, Moses makes reference to something that the New Testament writers grab a hold of. All right, Moses, described as a prophet, that is one to whom God gave revelation immediately. He was a prophet of God. And as we'll see over and over again in Hebrews, Christ is presented as an even greater prophet. But in in Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses says, God will raise up after me another prophet. Now, interestingly, in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, Peter grabs a hold of that in his big sermon there, and he says, Moses was talking by faith about a coming one. That would be fulfilled in Christ. Isn't that interesting? In, in, In Acts 3, Peter is saying, when Moses said, there's a coming, another prophet coming, that in, in, his, in his mind filled with faith, Holy Spirit directed that he had the coming one. Did he know all the details of Christ? Of course not. But he knew there was one coming, another prophet greater than he. Very interesting. Now, of course, that's subsequent to Egypt. No question about that. The reproach of Christ 
greater than, than the, the treasures of Egypt. But it's interesting to me that, that the New Testament writers looked back and said, Moses saw through the eyes of faith one who was to come. Okay, not done with this, not done with this. You stay with me right here as you look at your notes. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Christ was faithful in God's house as a son. So Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Now, again, we're still building this foundation. It's still going to flesh this out a bit. Moses, I'm going back to chapter 3. Moses was used by God to lay the foundation. That's the Old Testament. If If you're a Christian who does not value the Old Testament, please learn to do so because it will build your appreciation for Christ. Okay, don't get lost. Don't get lost in the, in the Old Testament. Read it and learn it and value it. So sometimes Christians today say, yeah, but that's just, what's the big word? Old. Okay, stop. Someday you'll be old and want value. And let me tell you, the Old Testament, <laughs> that had nothing to do with the text. Um, the Old Testament should be valued. Because it will point you to Christ. I'll show you that more in a minute. But, uh, but here in, in, back in, I'm back in Hebrews 3, right? And I'm in, uh, I'm in, I'm in verse 3. Uh, we're looking at this contrast between Moses and Jesus. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has than the house itself. So, so Moses laid a foundation. Christ built the house. That's the analogy that the writer is, is using. Now, of course, he doesn't have your big... Uh, mansion in mind here, but I'm, I'm grabbing that for our purposes and saying this, uh, no one in gazing at a mansion stares at the footings. Case in point, uh, in some cities, uh, as in Vancouver, where we lived for a number of years, uh, a bunch of years ago, um, they often did this thing, in, at least in better economic times, called the, the, the street of dreams. You ever hear this? Yeah, okay. Other places do it too, apparently. And the way it was done down there, at least, you'd get a bare piece of property and a whole bunch of builders would go together and they'd, different builders would buy a lot and build their coolest house ever. And their goal was to make you want to have them build a house for you. So they build all these houses and they open it up as a street of dreams. And I think down in Vancouver, at least, you had to pay a few bucks to walk through and you got to walk through all these cool houses. And they're selling themselves. Smith and Sons built this. And so-and-so built this. Now, that's not the day to show up and build, you know, something that's leaning to the left. This is the day to make it shine. But here's the deal. If you're walking through the street of dreams and you're walking, man, this is amazing stuff. Look at that. A 16-car garage. Who needs that? This is great. No one in walking down the street of dreams says, unless there may be Steve Parker, look at that amazing foundation. The footings were so well laid. If you did this... I know, I know others might do the same. Stay with me. If you said that to somebody, nice foundation, they would say to you, what do you think of the house though? I mean, isn't this amazing? Uh, So that you will say, yes, I love all the amazing stuff and this is great. It's got all the amenities. I want to hire them to build my house. That's the point of this. No one in looking at a house stares at this, you know, really, come on the stuff underground. You just don't. Moses laid the foundation. Christ built the house. That's kind of the point in the text. Now, again, the writer does not have in mind a house like you do. This is a few years ago. So something different. But the the analogy is the same. Now, I want to grab this. Excuse me. Moses, in building the foundation, it was no small foundation. 
If you look at your study notes here, Christ, listen, Christ is the fulfillment of the pictures that abound in what we call the law of Moses. This is my comment about the Old Testament and why you should value it. It is filled with pictures of Christ. We're going to see a bunch of those in the book of Hebrews that will come to life. Uh, I'll I'll tell you more about that in just a second here. Um, The pictures that abound, and here are some. The Passover lamb points where? To Christ, our Passover. Why do you think it was in the Old Testament, the description around Passover, none of the bones shall be broken? Why would that matter if you're eating a roast lamb? Why? Unless you're pointing to something else. As indeed, you read in the New Testament, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. The point of that was to look to a greater redemption. So two big redemptive events in the Bible. Uh, Deliverance from Egypt that laid the foundation for the greater work of redemption, Christ on the cross. So the first work of redemption points to the second, the greater one, the work of Jesus. All the sacrifices, the book of Leviticus, for goodness sakes, to read it, sometimes you go, man, this is hard work. A chapter a day, 27 days in a row, I've got to read about sacrifices. This is hard work. Yes, I understand. And it's pointing you to Christ. Christ in all the sacrifice, his blood shed, his body torn. Christ, the first fruits. They'll call for holiness. The law's about uncleanness. You start reading those going, this is unclean, this is unclean, this is unclean. Man, that's crazy. Yes, I know. And you're unclean. And you need a savior. Christ is your cleanliness. Christ is the one who washes you. All of those things are there for a purpose, for you to look to Christ. The Levitical priest, as where we're going to be in a few chapters. The, the high priest. Their garments. Do you think about these things? You could quickly read the garments that are described for the high priest and go, yada, 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 yada. It didn't feed me at all. I'm going to go to the Gospels. And you missed it. Case in point. The, the high priest, the garments described in the Old Testament. Do you, do you hear this? Um, among the other trappings, I'll mention too, it describes a breastplate that the high priest would wear and had 12 costly stones and had engraved on them the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So on his shoulders, costly stones with engra- engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So what? I'll tell you so what. Because when the high priest goes in to sprinkle blood on the altar to cover your sin, he carries you into the very presence of God. Do you see this? My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. That's the point. He carries you on his shoulders before the Father. Does that matter to you at all? Well, let me tell you, it matters to me that he carries me close to his heart and he carries me on his shoulders because I'm, I'm not that strong. Please carry me to the Father. And he does. And so these pictures are in the Old Testament to build your faith and to cause you to esteem Christ in an even greater way. So Moses laid this amazing foundation. Sabbath laws. Sometimes I hear it said, well, we're in the New Testament. We don't do Sabbath anymore. Are you kidding me? Well, we'll get there in chapter 4. I want to convince you otherwise. No, if you're a Christian, you know Christ is your Savior. You do, you do more Sabbath than anybody else. You do it every day. To know Christ, is your, he is your rest. You live in Sabbath every single day. The point of Sabbath was to cease from your works and rest in the presence of God. That's what you do when you know Christ. You cease from your works, no confidence in the flesh, and you rest, as, as the song says, you rest your weary soul in him. Christ is your Sabbath. 
when you know Christ, you do practice Sabbath. Seven days a week is your Sabbath. So anybody asks you, so you guys really don't do Sabbath? You say, yes, I do, 100%. And the Sabbath's name is Jesus in the New Testament. I rest in him. Do you see, the Old Testament wasn't just some old thing to get rid of now that Christ has come. No, there are pictures that just overflow to, to cause you to value and esteem Christ. That's why you should read the Old Testament. That's why you should study and read the book of Hebrews like we're doing, because it helps in that pursuit. So today then, this paragraph draws uh, the pictures of Moses to mind and says, do you think Moses was really something? Wasn't he amazing as a servant in God's house? And indeed, that contrast there, he was amazing as a servant, but guess what? Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. And the writer has already made a big deal about that in chapter one. The son looking in chapter 1 at the deity of Christ, chapter 2 at his humanity, both of which qualify him together to be your redeemer, savior, and keeper. Moses, amen, Moses was faithful as a son. Uh, sorry, as a servant. Christ, faithful as a son. And your heart, the writer wants, your heart is called to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for a champion of my faith like Jesus. That all supports the main command. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Now, uh, I, I want to, in application, I want to continue here. I'm not done with this text. If you look to meet with me to that section called Responding to God's Word, this text calls for a response. So it says in verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we, what is it, hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so I note here on your study sheet, this is drawing to mind our, our, uh, our study from chapter 2 and verse 1. You remember, the, you remember the, the warning in chapter 2, 1 about drifting away? Remember this? Don't drift away. Don't drift away. So what's the opposite of that? Well, holding fast. It's almost as if these two um, you know, form bookends to a thought. I, I suspect that they do. I don't think this is random for the writer. No, hold fast. Now, also, there is an implied uh, warning in this phrase, if indeed we hold fast, our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The book of Hebrews is a, calls, many times, calls us to persevere. The perseverance of the saints I am very aware. Big theological discussions about all these things, and we will, we will get there along the way as we move through the book of Hebrews. This is a call for perseverance, not to earn your salvation. Get this phrase, you'll hear it again. Not to earn your salvation, but to demonstrate its validity. Okay? That's how I understand the perseverance of the saints, if you like to wrestle with theology. Perseverance of the saints, yes, not to earn your salvation, but to prove its validity. Now, I will hasten to point out the, the if here. This is a big deal in the text, okay? Sometimes in the New Testament, um, there is an if that is rightly translated since. Some of the newer versions will do that. They'll say since. Uh, similarly, uh, it would be similar to me saying to all of you, uh, if you come to worship service this morning, you'll notice that and of course, all of you would know what I meant by that, because obviously you're here. So when I said if, I meant since. You would know that. 
Uh, there are other times in the Bible when if, as we have it in English, has an ambiguity to it. Okay, it's spelled different in Greek, but it doesn't translate that way very well. So you could write it two different ways. This is the one that would leave a question. So when it says, if you hold fast, it's not saying, since you will hold fast. In a sense, it's saying, will you? Will you hold on to Christ? And you may or may not. By the term the writer uses, he's kind of leaving it hanging. You may or may not. Please do. No, hold on to Christ. That's the call. Consider Jesus to make that so. Hold on to him. Hold fast. Hold fast your faith. He says, your confidence boasting to the end. Now, under that section again, responding to God's word, I, the, the, the second and the third little bullet points are, are both really needed here. The first says, how do you do this? This is about you personally, you personally. How do you do this? And I just tell you, next week's text takes us to both of these places. Um, how do you do it? How do you, how do you encourage your own heart? And I, hope, I know that that involves time with God's people, devotion to God's word, spiritual disciplines. These are things that you must do if you intend to hold fast. You just must. If you think you're going to hold fast to Christ and you don't hang out with God's people some way and you don't spend time in God's word and the basic spiritual disciplines, let me just tell you something. You are fooling yourself. That glub, glub, glub on the big sea of life will be you as you sink. No, you've got, to hold on to, you've got to hold on to God by holding on to his word and holding on to his people and pursuing him. You just must. Okay? It's not a mystery. If you, you know, falling away is not just, how it just happened. No, no, usually people, I've heard it said, people slide. We start ignoring our time in God's word. We start ignoring God's people. We start skipping certain things. Before long, you look around and go, you know, I don't know if it matters that much to me, to me anymore. Yeah, and I, I got a hunch about how you got there. It was step by step by step neglecting things that you should know better than to neglect. Now, second half of that, other believers need you, friends. Listen, do you hear this? This isn't just about you getting encouraged and hanging on. This is about you helping other people. That's the y'all here. Um, sometimes I fear um, it's pretty easy for God's people to be consumers of encouragement, like a large vacuum hose sucking encouragement, okay? And there's times in our lives when we're more takers, receivers, than givers, I know. Sucking encouragement. There, I got my dose for the day. I understand it sometimes. Who are you encouraging? To whom do you dispense words of life? Life-giving. To whom do you speak? And how do you do it? Uh, what does that look like for you? Is it, is it encouraging words? Is it, is it notes? Is it saying, hey, thanks for that? I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I'm just asking how. How does it work for you? Who do you encourage to hang in there beyond the trivia of the day? Take this seriously. Sometimes when people fall away, we, we look at it and say, yeah, bad on them. You know what? Sometimes it's bad on us because we let it happen. Think about this. Who's missing? Who have I not heard from? Who can I reach out to? Who needs me today? Rather than just, what can I get? Well, let Christ be the lens through which you view the world, your life, your losses, and your hope.
hold on to him, hold on to him. We want to remember that as we celebrate communion. That's part of the application of this today. I want to pray, and I'll say a word about how we serve communion these days. I think you know, but I'll remind us. And we'll remember Christ in communion. There'll be one little uh, other addition there of an application of this that I'll introduce at that time. And then we'll close. But I want to pray for us now, if I may. Father, I thank you for your word and for your people, how we need to hold fast, how we need to hold on to Christ. And, oh, Lord, would you, would you help us to make Christ that lens through which we view all of our life and our world and our hope, our losses, all of these things, that we would see them through Christ. And, Lord, even now, as we remember Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So capture our hearts with him. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I would direct you, as you see in your sermon notes, to Hebrews eleven twenty six. I call it a communion text. I'll make a comment or two here. The way we serve communion these days, of course, is different. And so we have communion stations on the sides and another one here in front. And if that is uh, something, if you know Christ is your Savior, we invite you to share with us. This is a celebration for those who know Jesus. And uh, if you are comfortable participating uh, as this, in this format, we would welcome you here in a moment to come on down on the sides. If you would go toward the wall and then make a, you know, kind of a loop that way, those aisles go in this way. And here in the middle, if you come down the middle, that just keeps the traffic flow helpful. You can feel free to, do you want to pick up both cups? The, there's a double cup, a little cracker in the bottom, and then a cup of juice. You can feel free to serve others around you. You want to send one instead of two of you, that's fine. Um, and if one area runs out, head to the other. I think, I think we'll be fine with that. But if you would come and serve yourself, and uh, then I'll say just a few words, and we'll remember Christ uh, together. All right? You can come. In celebrating communion, we join hands by faith with thousands upon thousands who have gone before us. In all parts of the world, rich, poor, thriving, suffering, some celebrating communion in settings where it was highly costly to do so. And there with maybe a small group, maybe in the dark, maybe in danger of their life, someone had a piece of bread and said, we're going to remember Christ. And they did. The little cracker, a little piece of bread, whatever it might be, whatever setting, points a believer in Jesus to the body of Christ broken for us, nailed to that cross, our sin upon his shoulders. And together we remember him. Let's do that with gratefulness. Hebrews 11 Verse 26, as we read earlier, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. What a phrase. Lord, what do I esteem? What do I value? In crucif- being crucified, Christ suffered great, repro- great reproach 
our sin and our guilt and our shame upon his shoulders. Born before the Father. Before the world. The little cup points us to the blood of Christ shed for us. As the writer to Hebrews will say later, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Christ shed his blood for us. We remember him today. Why we must focus on Christ. As an application of that, uh, I would like to ask Pastor Tyler and Karen and Miss Jilly to come on down. They would like to talk with us for a moment or two. This is an application of the text, if you think about it at all, as I know you will and are. But um, you think carefully about this. Christ, the lens through which we view all of life. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, We are excited to be up here. Uh, This year ahead of us for our family is going to be a year of big change for us. Uh, I will be stepping away this year from my role as a pastor here at Sunset Bible Church. Um, And we are, uh, basically we have been prayerfully considering for the past year um, taking a position with a ministry called Perspectives USA. Uh, Many of you are familiar with that because we offer the classes here and it's been a big part of our church life. Um, And I've been asked to become the regional director for Perspectives in the Pacific Northwest. Um, So it's a rather large territory. It kind of oversees western Washington, western Oregon, and all of Alaska. Um, and so big changes for, for us. Uh, we're excited uh, for two reasons. One, um, just kind of looking at my journey. Uh, Fifteen years ago, we came here just looking for a church, a good church, and we found one. And 12 years ago, I, I left my career and went to seminary and kind of became a pastoral intern here. And over the years, assistant pastor and the last few years, an associate pastor. And this is an opportunity for me to continue to be stretched and to learn and to grow Um, and to be challenged. So I'm excited in that way. We're also excited because we get to actually stick around here. Um, So while I'm taking a new role, uh, our family will continue to be here at Sunset, um, and we'll still be investing and um, giving, and uh, I just won't be paid. (laughs) So uh, it'll it'll be a good thing. But we're excited because I grew up as a military kid, and we moved around churches quite a lot. And for a place of stability for Jilly, it's it's not our first priority, um, and we would go where God tells us to go, but it's a nice bonus for us, so we're really excited. Yeah, hey, of course, this is not new to me. We've been talking through this journey for a long time, and I share Tyler and Kara's anticipation and excitement for this. I think it's a wonderful thing. Tyler and Karen are ready to lead it at an additional level, and this certainly will provide that. Um, You described the territory... You're going to be mentoring people. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what else. I mean, there's, help us understand what there's a lot to this. Yeah, Perspectives is a mobilization ministry. It's education. It mobilizes through education. Uh, we have the Great Commission on our wall over there, Go Make Disciples of All Nations. And I believe that's not a mission just for a few weird Christians. Um, it's, it's our mission as a church. And so... I believe every Christian should be mobilized to be a part of what God's doing around the world. So Perspectives is a discipleship program that helps with that. But there's also great opportunity to mobilize churches. Many churches don't really see how they play into the Great Commission. They don't 
they don't take part in, in Great Commission work. And so my job will be developing leaders and also hopefully influencing this whole region um, for a greater uh, intentional purpose um, for God's heart for the nation. So we're, we're, it's daunting, but exciting. Outstanding. I know, and that ties into your passion uh, for both of you with uh, local and foreign mission, however that is, uh, God would use you wherever you go. And I know that he will, and I'm excited for that. Now, next week, you're going to be, not this coming week, week after, you're going to do a week of training that will provide a lot more information about that. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a, a, a transition that at this point is undefined. Mm-hmm. We don't know how long this is all going to take. Um, right. it's, a fund, it's a fundraising. It's a, I meaning it's a, it's, it's a, come on. Yeah, support raising, not fundraising. So it's a support raising role. This is, there's no salary that comes with it. So Tyler and Karen are stepping into this by faith. We'll be talking about this together as a church in the, the weeks and months ahead. But they're going to be looking to the Lord and God's people. I mean, are you guys scared about this at all? Or, I mean, do you think about this? Uh, yeah, we certainly do think about it. And, yeah, there, there, there's a level of apprehension, um, but also excitement to be able to invite people into a ministry that has great value and significance um, with us. So, yeah, that the whole thing of like, um, boy, training and when does this happen? How quickly? Well, we don't know. So we're happy to answer questions. So feel free to talk to us. But you'll hear a lot of I don't knows at this point, um, once we kind of go through that training, more, more, more to, to answer. But, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll keep you posted along the way, but Tyler and Karen wanted you to know that now rather than having something floating around and rumors to be heard and what's going on. Well, they just tell you. So they just did. And we'll keep you posted along the way uh, as to how this is going to go. And I'm confident in some months there will be a, uh, some kind of a church family gathering where we'll um, serve ice cream or something and say, um, you know, we wish you well as this big transition takes place. There will be opportunity for you to express your gratitude, I know, uh, but for today, uh, that's what you have. So I would love for you to stand with me and let's close this service of worship in prayer. All of this um, from the time of worship and time in God's word to even hearing here from Tyler and Karen, focus on Christ, a focus on Christ. Pray with me. Father, this morning, we uh, thank you for the chance to be here. Thank you for those who are here uh, in person and as well, those who have joined us on our live stream. A full morning, I know. But we head out into this week, again, walking by faith with you, uh, looking to Christ. Christ, the lens through which we view all of life, politics, or family, whatever our needs are, looking through the lens of Christ. Help us in that endeavor this week is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go. We'll see you very soon. Have a good week.